What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Resilience is about standing up, brushing our knees off, and taking a step, even if that step is tiny. <laughs> and and it doesn't seem to be relevant. It means that we're moving in some kind of action. And that's how I define it, bouncing forward. Cue music. Places, everybody places. We're starting in three, two. It's time for Life Interrupted Radio, a show dedicated to practical skills for your mind, body, and soul. We're hoping we'll go in one ear and stay there. Here's the host of the show, Sharon Saylor. Welcome to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio, where we look at the rise of autoimmune disorders. The NIH estimates nearly 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder. To put that in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. You'll be as surprised as I was to find out what autoimmune entails. I brought together top experts that range from doctors, specialists, nutritionists, researchers, and even those recovering from autoimmune to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information about autoimmunity and how to live your life uninterrupted. So let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm your host, Sharon Saylor from SharonSaylor.com. And as always, it's my pleasure to be with you here tonight, Friday night, the first Friday in January here. I, you know, I have full Friday, full week here. And I'll tell you, it's a cold one this winter. So I've got my tea here. Um, I've got the chai tea with the almond milk. I needed something really zippy. to. I don't know. When I get cold, I get a little sleepy. I don't know if that happens to you too or not. But so I've got chai tea with homemade almond milk here. So mm. it's really good. And I'm just letting you know there's a lot of caffeine in it. So we'll be good for this whole hour. I'm really excited too because I have one of my favorite guests on. We're going to talk about something a little different because I've been thinking about as we move into the world of thriving, you know, a lot of things happen to us. And um, during our whole journey, our whole experience of changing our health and recalibrating our how we're going to be in the world, things like that. And I was talking to a dear friend of mine, Charmaine Hammond, the other day, and we got to talking about something that she's just an expert in among some, we've had her on the show before, by the way, so you can check that out. She was my very first guest, what, 100 and, <laughs> 155 episodes ago, Charmaine. Wow. It was, wow. Congratulations. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> so I, I just had to do the math really quickly in my head there. So that's awesome. And we're going to have talk to Charmaine today about resilience and also about caregiving because you know we had uh tamar green on and dave dashinger on uh, a, a couple months ago and 
David had uh, gotten stage four cancer and is an absolute thriver now. So we were so excited to hear his story. And Tamara shared her story of being a caregiver. And we got a lot of uh, feedback from that, that, you know, it's hard enough being the patient, but then, gosh, what about the caregiver? So we're going to talk about resilience and reducing what we call compassion fatigue. So, and Charmaine's best known in the work world, but I'm always a big believer that resilience is resilience and compassion fatigue is compassion fatigue. So we're going to talk about that. So let me give you a quick introduction to my dear friend Charmaine Hammond, and she has been transforming lives and business, building sustainable collaborations and helping businesses succeed for over 25 years. She is committed to helping businesses and corporations form sustainable collaborations within their own companies and across departments, building strong teams as well as community organizations. And she's just fabulous at bringing stakeholders together too. She's a certified professional speaker, best-selling author. She has five books to her own name and been featured in six others and has a master's degree in conflict management. She has helped many people and organizations build resilience and reduce compassion fatigue in the workplace. But as I just said a minute ago, to me, compassion fatigue is compassion fatigue and resilience is resilience. It's just in context. So welcome, Charmaine. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about the conversation. Oh, me too. Because we always, oh my gosh, you know, if you've been listening to the autoimmune hour for a while, you know that I tend to run down rabbit holes. Well, Charmaine and I are really good at that. So (laughs) who knows where we're going to go in this. Double the rabbit holes with the two of us on the on together. (laughs) Absolutely. So why don't you define resilience? I mean, there's a lot of talk nowadays about grit and resilience and Mm. willpower. And so why don't you define how you talk about resilience? I have a little bit of a different definition on resilience. And I'll tell you where that came from. Many, many years ago, about 22 years ago, I was in a sailboat accident where I had to swim for life with my then boyfriend, Christopher. And it, I, w- I had been teaching stress management for years, I've got to say, at that point. So I was in corporations and workplaces teaching stress management. And I realized that day in the lake, as I was swimming for my life, that everything I knew went out the window. <laughs> Completely gone. Everything that I was teaching, I didn't apply in that moment of fear and panic and desperation. And it was seven years later. So in between then, I got married to Christopher. (laughs) That was part of how we we ended up getting saved. And it took me seven years to get on the boat, Sharon. I wanted nothing to do with a sailboat. And fear took over. And I got to thinking that resilience is typically defined as the ability to bounce back after change, challenge, crisis, and adversity. And lots of us have heard that definition before. And I thought, you know, I never want to go back to that day. I never want to ever experience that fear and feeling of no control, no certainty. I never wanted to go back there. And I thought when we think about resilience as just bouncing back, it doesn't imply that we've grown as a person. It doesn't imply that we've learned. And so I put a stake in the ground one day, Sharon. I thought, you know what? Resilience is about bouncing forward. It's about tough stuff happens to all of us. We have divorce. We have family illness. People get fired from jobs. Our kids grow up and go on to manage their own life and make decisions that parents kind of get gray hair about. And tough stuff happens to all of us. And resilience is about standing up, 
brushing our knees off and taking a step, even if that step is tiny <laughs> and, and it doesn't seem to be relevant, it means that we're moving in some kind of action. And that's how I define it, bouncing forward. Oh, I love bouncing forward. I love that. I have a, a question, though. You know, I've never thought of myself as resilient until looking back. Do you, do you notice that you're in resilience when you're doing it? I, when I was going through the height of my illness, people would say, oh, Sharon, you're so brave. And I wouldn't understand the question or the mm. comment. I'd like, well, I don't know what the alternative is. <laughs> right. And I'm curious. I've only noticed that, I, well, that was, you know, gosh, give yourself a pat on the back, Sharon. You, you know, you moved through that pretty, pretty okay. I mean, considering. Right. So, do people know they're being resilient or is it something that you notice looking back? Wow. What a juicy question. Oh, I, I agree. A lot of times we later look back and say, wow, was I ever resilient? I've had lots of friends that have coped with some really, really traumatic life experiences and illness. Um, and I've coped with things like you had with your illness, Sharon. And, and they've said the same thing, sort of as, as life begins to feel settled again, they look back and think, wow, I can't believe I got through that. And I still have my humor and I still found time to do things I love. And, and so a lot of times I think we are so um, in what we're experiencing and we're just doing what we need to do to get by the next minute, the next hour that we not, may not be fully aware of how we, resilient we are. But one of the things I've discovered and I've worked with, I, I had a former career as a correctional officer and as a counselor and family mediator. And I got to work with some families and inmates that were, you know, really in high distress and had dealt with a lot more things in their life than I could ever imagine. And I looked at what were the qualities of the families and individuals that got through it and mm -hmm. that I would say are resilient and the families and individuals that are still stuck and sort of experiencing something from 10 years ago. And the difference was, was that the humor was a big, big similarity that resilient people oh. tend to enjoy humor. And I remember um, a friend of mine who was dealing with cancer a number of years ago she sort of made herself a mantra that every day she was going to laugh. She would only read funny things. So she never went on Facebook and didn't watch the news. She only watched funny shows and read funny books. And, um, you know, people commented on how healthy she appeared in the time of her life where she wasn't healthy. So humor was one quality. But, you know, the other quality that I noticed was forgiveness and letting things go that resilient people have an ability to decide what they're not going to carry with them anymore. You know, what baggage they're going to get let go and um, the ability to forgive themselves for mistakes and other people. Oh, I'll, I'll, those are all great. Now I'm going to say mine at times wasn't always humor. Sometimes my friends would say it was snarky and mm, interesting. <laughs> I can't imagine you as being snarky. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I, but it was sort of seeing the humor in it, but in a sort of twisted way, I would say at times that things would be happening. Like, 
this didn't go over so well. I thought it was hysterical. With, you know, with my condition, I lost a lot of my skin. It just mm. fell off. <laughs> wow. But the interesting that came thing that when it came back, it was actually quite gorgeous when it grew back. <laughs> it was soft and silky. And I remember saying to the dermatologist at the time, hey, look, it's okay. Free laser peel. And she didn't find that humorous at all. But that was the way I coped with it was just trying to see sort of in a bizarre way. It's a gift in it. <laughs> right. I, you've mentioned two really powerful points, Sharon, being able to see gifts in things, and that can be tough in the moment. And you brought up a point that not everyone's humor is the same. And I've done a lot of work with the police service and also with fire department. And they have what they call a black, a black humor. It's a really dark sense of humor. Yeah. And I remember when I started doing some work with them that I was quite taken back and I didn't understand it until I had one of the firemen who so graciously explained that because of the things they see and deal with and have to still manage their own emotions and reactions, they, they created, they often fall into what they call a dark sense of humor and it helps them cope and it helps them sort of desensitize with what's going on in reality and helps them be resilient. So humor can look different ways to different people. Oh, absolutely. We had Valerie Shepard on not too long ago and she does a Valerie. thing. Oh, she is just <laughs> wonderful. She does a thing. I, I'm just, I know you know her, Charmaine, but um, she does laughter yoga. And what I love about her is her laugh is infectious. Yes. So it was one of those things that even though she was feeling poorly, she knew that when she started to laugh, she would change her state. But the funny thing is she changed everybody's state around her with yes. this very infectious laugh that she has. And she told, she said, well, Sharon, I didn't always used to laugh like this, just doing laughter yoga. I've learned to be able to have a really right. roaring belly laugh. And I've been trying to do that more and more. And I'll tell you, even when you're not finding the humor in it, just having the opportunity to do that laugh, I was surprised at how fast I'll say the energy or my feelings, you know, how fast I changed, my point of view changed so fast just by, I guess, sometimes even a forced laugh seemed to really be able to change my point of view on things, take me out of the murky. Yeah, that's a critical point. And I, I love how you've described how laughter can do that because resilient people, um, even if they may not see it in the moment, they have the ability to reframe a situation. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people who are resilient, and, and for those of you that are out there that do this naturally, you're probably more resilient than you might even think you are, but resilient people have an ability to actually change their language. And I'll give you an example. I remember working with one family uh, years ago as a family mediator, and I loved this family, and they were really difficult to work with. They, were ever, they didn't communicate by talking. So Sharon, you know, with your background in communication skills and <laughs> being an expert in communication, you would have loved this. So everything they did was high velocity, high impact, yelling, not listening, and they loved each other deeply. That was so evident. And I remember, um, you know, talking to this family and trying to just get the emotions down to a point where we could have a meaningful conversation. And the dad kept saying all the things he didn't want. I don't want you guys. He was talking to his, his teenagers. I don't want you breaking curfew. I don't want you using all the gas in the car. I don't want you coming home late. And the mother did something that was just transformational. She said, instead of saying what you don't want, tell us what you do want. 
and yeah. really calmly and lovingly. But what happened is the, com the conversation shifted completely. And I thought, what an example of taking a high stress situation and changing the language, which changed the conversation and the perception. And I thought, and she, for me, when I think about resilience, this is a lady who have, has gone through a lot in her life and just continues to um, show up in her life strong, healthy, and resilient. And I learned from her the power of language and how we frame things. Oh, absolutely. And I, it, taking that just even down a, the rabbit hole a little further is how often we can get in, especially when we're having a flare, as we call it here in the autoimmune world, down like, oh, it's here again. I don't want yeah. this again. You know, if mm -hmm. you can get down and tell some of the gifts are in an odd way. I am so quick to notice when a flare is going to happen. I Before, I, you know, it would really happen and I wouldn't even notice it coming. But one of the things is now it's like, okay, that's, that's the little canary in the coal mine signal for me and mm. things like that. So this idea of what don't you want instead of like, oh, no, here it comes again, being able to say, oh, that's interesting. What am I doing that's if I don't stop doing it, it's exactly. going to take me down this, this hole here. And yes. so I love that idea of being able to reframe instead of getting stuck in the don'ts, being able to get uh, going the right direction in the do's so you can yeah. keep things moving the way you want them to go. On that, we need to take a quick commercial break. Guys, as you could tell, when Charmaine and I going, it's just free-throwing, free flowing <laughs> thought. I can't even talk. I'm so excited to have her here. <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life Interrupted Radio will return after these messages from our sponsors. It's great sponsors like these that keep this show coming to you every week. Be sure and stop by LifeInterruptedRadio.com to learn more. Hi, this is Sharon, and of course you know me from here on the Autoimmune Hour, but maybe you didn't know I'm also an author, mostly nonfiction. But recently I delved into the world of children's fiction with the Pinky Chenille series. If you haven't had a chance to check out Pinky Chenille and the Rainbow Hunters, go over and check it out at PinkyChenille.com. That's Pinky, P-I-N-K-Y, Chenille, C-H-E-N-I-L-L-E.com. Thanks. See you there. Your Conscious Lifestyle on Steroids. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Humanity Healing International is a small nonprofit with a big dream. Since 2007, HHI has been working tirelessly to bring help to communities with little or no hope. Our projects are not broad mandates, nor are they overnight solutions, but they bring the reassurance that no one is alone and that someone cares. To learn more, please visit humanityhealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Hello, I'm Lisa Berry. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for Light on Living. A chance to see new, hear different, and feel more as I shine the spotlight on all the ways to lighten the load of life's challenges. Light on Living is your link to that new way you're looking for, that new understanding that will enhance your life, and that positive connection that will support your growth. So join me and you'll gain insight and start to see things in a new way that motivates you. I am Fidel Nshombo. I was born in a city called the Bukavu in the Congo. We were a loving family. And then, boom, 
everything that I had disappeared in a single day. People think that when you are a refugee and they resettle you to America, and all your problems are done. They don't understand that that's the beginning of everything. I was not born a refugee. I was made one. It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at EmbraceRefugees.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm your host, Sharon Saylor from SharonSaylor.com. And today we're here with the wonderful Charmaine Hammond. And she is an expert on resiliency and compassion fatigue in the workplace. But, you know, as I said at the beginning, I think resilient people are resilient people and compassion fatigue is compassion fatigue. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk to it and how we can get it going in the right direction, regardless of our situation. So if you're feeling you need resilience in the workplace, place today's awesome for you as well if you're feeling like you need it with your health or gosh even just because it's already the first week of 2018 <laughs> sometimes I just feel like oh here we go another fast year going by so Charmaine thank you so much you know I loved your explanation of resilience it's so important to me now one question I'm curious about uh, I just really I know this is sort of unfair and off the wall but how do you view willpower versus resilience? I mean, oftentimes people say, you know, oh, buck up, you need, you know, where's your willpower or whatever. Is there, are they the same or to me, they're kind of different, but I'm never quite clear on what the difference would be. Yeah, they are. It's interesting you're asking that because my head is going, they're different. And then my head is saying, why are they different? And I'm, I, so why are they different? You know, I think that resilience is, um, it's not only about the actions that we take. Resilience, I think, is a bit of a state of mind. Yeah. And, and um, what I do know about resilience, I think about resilience almost like a, um, it's like a bank account. You've got to keep putting into that account for resilience to be there. So it's not just something you do in the moment of a stressful activity and then you exhibit resilience. You have to be building resilience up. And those are things, you know, by getting the right sleep, by eating healthy, by choosing to be in relationships that are good for you, by knowing what to say yes and no to, um, by forgiving, uh, all of, by having the tough conversations that are suck is sucking your energy, you know, and playing in your mind. And those are things that we do sort of every day to build that bank account. But if we use everything, it's just like a gas tank. Gas tank. If you use all the gas, there's nothing left to give. And that happens all the time in caregiving. We serve people from you know the gas tank, and then there's nothing left from us at the end of the day. Willpower is almost like, um, to me, and I, I'm sure there's probably a better definition out there, willpower is almost about having that stamina Um, Like you use the word buck up, you know, chin up, just get on with it. (laughs) Whatever that is, it's sort of like it to me, that's very action oriented. It's an in the moment, um, a response to something. Whereas resilience is kind of a state of mind and a way of living so that when we experience tough things, we have the capacity to work through it. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Fantastic. Let's jump into compassion fatigue, because interestingly enough, I think not only from the standpoint of your caregivers, and that includes your medical professionals. I mean, I know when I was at the height of sort of feeling poor me, woe is me, I even noticed some of the medical professionals were sort of (laughs) like, you know, Mm. I can't fix it. I'm like, I know, I know, just need somebody to listen, really, more Mm -hmm. than anything. And so, um, but as a 
as the person going through it, I found that I even lost compa- got compassion fatigue for myself. I know that mm-hmm. sounds weird, but there was that moment where it was like, okay, snap out of it. Right. And um, that was really important for me to understand that you can also experience compassion fatigue being <laughs> not being the caregiver. So, Absolutely. It, um, you know, compassion fatigue, when we think about a definition of it, the easiest definition, because there's some great clinical definitions, but the way I think about it on a practical day-to-day life, it's sort of like the cost of caring. Yeah. So as you said, Sharon, it could be uh, the cost of caring for ourselves the cost of caring for someone else. And you brought up the medical profession. Uh, Years ago in an early career, I worked in the psychiatry unit in a hospital. And I had the opportunity in my job to interface with all the different departments that worked closely with psychiatry. And I noticed at one particular time that the the hospital had gone through a lot of sort of political and budging uh, budget uh, changes. And the, that just the the morale was feeling really low in the organization. And I thought that it was low morale that I was seeing. And then as I started to talk to some of the nurses and doctors and LPNs and the hospital staff, I realized that it wasn't low morale. It was people that I think were suffering from compassion fatigue. Wow. It was like, and, and so one of the nurses so beautifully described it. She had been a nursing her whole life and had worked in all different departments in the hospital. And she said, Charmaine, some, we give, um, you know, we give and we give emotionally, spiritually, educationally, we're giving to our patients. And at the end of the day, sometimes I feel there's not a drop left to give to the next patient. And I feel intense guilt. And I thought, wow, I mean, that was a perspective I had never thought of. And another nurse, um, a psychiatry nurse, had said that she was finding herself becoming feeling numb from hearing some of the stories um, that the patients would share about what led them to be addicted to drugs, for example, or what led them to being in the psychiatric unit. And, and often that involved really painful stories of people's lives. And this one particular nurse said, I find that I freeze now. When the story starts to happen, the only way she said she could cope was to sort of, she said she imagined it in her head. If you think of the old radios that weren't push buttons, they were like the dial knob, the old TV. She said in her mind, she actually saw herself turning the knob off and she just kind of heard static. And so she was in this world of where she couldn't take in any more and then was battling intense guilt because she wasn't feeling present for her patient. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's a reality for people, but it's not just nurses and social workers that feel that it's people caring for their family members who are ill as well. Oh, absolutely. If you're the caregiver 24 seven for a person that you love, it's very, very hard seeing that you can't fix it. You know, a lot of times it's, you can aid and comfort and help, but I know that oftentimes the people like, but I always was able to, you know, make the boo-boo go away <laughs> and now, right. now I can't fix it. So it yeah. really is difficult. What are some tips that you have if someone goes, especially with the holidays, gosh, there's a, all sorts of guilt that goes around with the yeah. holidays yeah. too. That just adds to the stress. What are some tips that you have that you can uh, tell people if they're saying, oh man, Charmaine, 
I relate to that. Maybe I'm yeah. not as bad as having to turn off the knob, but I'm definitely turning the volume down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things, and you know, this, this probably sounds like such a common tip we hear all the time, but it is so important is we need time to actually uh, unplug. So we're, we're not being bombarded by social media and news and things like that where we just have time and space to ourselves, And I, I've talked to so many people that have been caring for aging parents or uh, friends that are help, helping their family members through illness. Mm -hmm. and, and what they say to me, these are their words, sometimes I just need to feel nothing. I just need to be away from it. And, and there's this battle that happens because then they feel guilty for just taking time for themselves. But I, it's like that gas tank analogy that if we just keep serving people, um, at the end, if we don't fill that gas tank up, there is nothing left. So in order to be a healthy caregiver, we've also got to take time for ourselves, And that means being unplugged, um, doing something that feels good for you that isn't about doing something that's good for someone else. Because we still have to nurture ourselves in this process. Yeah, wow. That's powerful. And it got me to thinking about if we know a caregiver as well. Over the holidays, I helped out a couple of friends that I know that are the caregiver. And one of them said to me, and, and I had to almost raise my, or I did, you know, raise my hand, not almost, but raise my hand because I did come and I spent some time and actually gave them some time off, which was wonderful for them. But I realized that in my own way of not knowing what to do, I hadn't been interacting with them the same way that I had before. Mm. And I had, you know, there had been a distance that I had been keeping. And that was really hard for me to realize and, and be able to say, because I didn't know what to do. I got stuck in that place of, well, I won't do anything yet. Yeah. But I think that's important for people to realize, um, just ask the caregiver what, what can I do? Is it, and yeah. even if they say nothing, just say, okay, well, I'll just sit here with you. Or how about I make some tea and we just sit because that was important to them. Yeah. They just needed to do nothing, but have somebody around. I know that sounds strange, but <laughs> I think that is such wise advice, Sharon. I remember when my friend Marcy was going through um, chemotherapy and I, I was feeling what you're describing, Sharon, I wanted so badly to help and be a good friend and support her. And I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what I could do. And I didn't want to be offensive. And I sort of was I feeling guilty for not maybe being as responsive. And then I, ju I just said to Marcy one day, um, I just feel and it was really a clunky conversation. I gotta say it was not my shining star <laughs> moment. <laughs> but I just said, I you know, I, I'm I'm struggling, Marcy. I care so deeply for you and I want to be there and I don't know what to do that will feel good for you. And she said, what you did was important. She said, just like when we are because she said for her, she was spending so much of her energy caring for the people that were worried about her. And this was such a different mindset uh, shift for me. And she said, I don't have the energy right now to make you all feel good. I'm coping <laughs> with tough stuff. And so she said, for you to say, I don't know what, I know how to help you best. Please tell me. And so I said to Marcy, you know, tell me what I can do. And she said, here's what you can do to help me. 
Yeah. And it was great. And so it, it's like what you said, Sharon, asking, that was such a powerful lesson for Marcy. And like I said, it was a clunky conversation, but um, it was really a good learning for me because sometimes even if we don't know what to say, Marcy said, Charmaine, say that. I don't know what to say, Marcy. I don't know how to make this better. How can I help you? And she said, just saying that was more help than if I was to do nothing. But oh, remembering that she didn't have the energy to like take care of my own fear for her and my own sadness and all of that. She said, I can't, you got to manage your own stuff for me because I'm managing big stuff right now. And that was really important for me because I wasn't realizing that me feeling um, inadequate as a friend was actually laying on more responsibility for her to deal with. Uh, that's an interesting place to go with that too, because when I asked, I, you know, I was saying, I don't know what to do. I feel bad. I haven't been showing up like I should be showing up and things. What can I do? Even that, what can I do almost laid a little bit of thought or I don't want to say guilt on the person, but it was like, right. I don't know. Yeah, what <laughs> would like, feel helpful? I, you know, it's at this point, I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. So, okay, we just sat and had tea. That's all we did. And that's really all that was necessary. It was so simple. But there was that clunky moment when I said, what, can, you know, I feel bad. What can I do that? They're like, oh my gosh, she, now do I need to make her feel better? And then, yes. then they had to think of something for me to do that I guess in their mind needed to be more meaningful than making tea and just sitting there. Right. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. Well, and I remember um, in conversations with a different friend, she was saying things, she was saying that when she was struggling with her illness, she didn't have energy to do things that were part of her weekly routine, like running to the grocery store or making sure the car had gas, um, running some little errands, dry cleaning, popping things off at the mail. And so she said when people would offer, they would phone up, her friends and family would phone up and say, I'm going to Costco. Um, what can I get for you? And not saying, do you need anything? Right. But saying, what can I get for you? That's a different question because you've already implied, I'm going to pick up some stuff for you. I just need your list. <laughs> I love that. Right. And oh. or things like I'm going to be putting in some laundry. I've got to do the kids laundry. Do you have anyone, any that I can throw in to make a full load? I'll be over in 10 minutes, things like that. And if they say no, that's okay. But they, um, offering help with those daily or weekly routines that people have in their life and framing it in a way that I'm doing this any, anyway, I just need your list. Right. Oh, I love that. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave with that list in mind. Cause I love what I mean. We've been talking about how to frame our language and that's another awesome tip. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and we'll get more into this. I just loving this. This is great. The best of holistic spiritual and conscious world. Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free. AscendingHearts.com. My name is Victor Furman. Some call me The Voice. I've always been fascinated with human nature, spirituality, science, and the crossroads at which they meet. 
Join me Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on OM Times Radio, and we'll explore these topics and so much more on Destination Unlimited. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm your host, Sharon Saylor from SharonSaylor.com, and today we're talking with the fabulous Charmaine Hammond. She's a professional speaker, author of five books, and mentioned in six others. She has a master's degree in conflict management, and she helps companies and people, shall I say, across the world understand resilience and compassion fatigue, along with so many other things that she does. But that's what we're talking about today, because... I find that it's something about this week in January that people are just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, it's like they drop, you know, okay, I made it through. Now, now I'm, I'm spent. <laughs> so what is, I love that idea of framing our message. And when we're on the friend of someone who's a caregiver, being able to frame our language in such a way that it's not guilt inducing, like what, can I do and said, I'm doing it. What do you, you know, what, where's your, what's your list? I'm going to Costco or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. I love that because then it's very easy to say, Oh, well, pick me up some lemons. It's really easy yeah. to say that, that, that yes. way when it's framed that way, other than when someone frames it, the opposite would say, what do you need? Gosh, the yeah. first response is, Oh, nothing, nothing. Thank you very much. I, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. So that's fabulous. Yes. What are some other tips that you have that at, whether we are the caregiver or, you know, we have a close friend that's a caregiver. I love these. We're just going everywhere, guys. I know. But <laughs> what are some other tips that you have? Some other tips for resilience and compassion fatigue is setting realistic goals, you know, setting expectations that are realistic for ourselves. It's really interesting. Um, I remember when I used to teach stress management years ago, and I would notice that when people are at their height of being stressed out, what, for regardless of the reason, that's the time when they write this massive to-do list and they add things like paint the house, you know, build a garage, <laughs> <laughs> and and I and my husband started laughing one day and he said, Charmaine, you do that too. <laughs> and I said, Don't you love it how family can kind of you know let yeah. you know where you're not as on target as you think? And I said, Really? And he said, You do that. When you get really, really stressed, you rather than look at two or three things that would really make a dent, you add 50 things to a list and then you go and color code it and type it up. And he said, for Pete's sakes, you could have done all three things on your list. <laughs> and this was many years ago uh, when he said this and, and I'll tell you, it was life changing for me because I had a perspective of myself in that moment that was very different. But when I, you know how it is in relationships, when I 
let the feedback linger. I thought, oh my gosh, he's so on target with this. And he was right. I spent all this time organizing because we often, in a time of distress, one of the things that we try and do quickly is start to try and feel control over whatever we can in our life. And sometimes we try and feel control over really big, ambiguous things that we probably can't even influence or impact. So I love that. I think it was Stephen Covey who coined the circle of control, influence, and concern. And when we're in distress and under pressure, what we want to focus on is just what's directly within our control or what we can directly influence. We don't have to worry about world peace or solving issues at the workplace that don't involve us. We only need to focus on what is really within our control to fix, solve, or change, or that we can influence. And that perspective really, really helped me because there is a tendency for us when we're stressed out to start looking at all the other things that we could fix in this need to feel a sense of control in our life. Oh, that's so important. And I used to, I still do, but in the height of things, I would just look at, okay, what's next? I didn't want to think about what is like, two, five, ten weeks down the road. It's just like, okay, I, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. <laughs> What's next? And I did put myself on a diet of no TV. I mean, funny TV, just things yeah. that I wanted to watch on television or thank goodness for streaming services. You could pick and choose nowadays without too much struggle. And putting myself on um, even a I'll say a diet of who I wanted to talk to and when. I'll say getting to set really clear boundaries. And one of the things I That's found important. out, yo, know, yeah, whether you're ill or not, mm-hmm. just boundaries is In a big life. one. People. <laughs> Absolutely. But you were mentioning about your husband and I had to laugh because one of the things that I learned, and this was not in relationship to illness, this was in relationship to relationships, is I have found that I have certain friends in my life And as we're chatting or whatever, and if this comes out of my mouth, I know my friend is absolutely right. If I say something like, but you just don't understand. (laughs) That is my code word for like, okay, Sharon, step back. Your friend is trying (laughs) to tell you something that they see that you're not seeing. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's awesome. That's what I know. Stop. Listen to whatever someone's telling you. If, even if it doesn't come out of my mouth, even yeah. if that urge is there, it's like, okay, I'm starting to hear a truth, a reality from an outside. Those friends of mine are dispassionately passionate. And so mm-hmm. they're able to be, see and be emotionally connected with me, but still be dispassionate enough about the outcome to tell me what they're seeing from their point of view, from their reality, from their being not emotionally connected like I am to whatever Mm -hmm. it's happening. So if you hear anything of like, you just don't understand going through your head, that's the time that you need to listen really closely to whomever's talking to you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Being open to that feedback. That's so important. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So we're getting some great tips here. So let's talk some more about this idea though of as we're going through it and you mentioned this a couple of times and I think it's a big one and that's guilt. Do you have any tips Mm. for for guilt? I because gosh, as a patient, you can feel guilty that you're putting your family through this. I mean, whether yeah. it's time, money, you know, the whole thing goes on. That, oh, my gosh, I just need to get better right away. Mm-hmm. Or the caregiver, the guilt of like, I, you know, I should have seen it coming or I can't make it better. Oh, my gosh, so many things. So yeah. any tips on, on guilt? To me, that's just a big one that keeps people stuck. 
Yeah, I think if we have a trusted friend, a colleague, a counselor, uh, you know, a, a family member, talking it through can be really healthy because I think what we do with guilt a lot is we internalize it. We replay things over and over again in our head and then we feel it in our body. And oh, I know... You know, I, I remember one time I made a mistake at work. I mean, it was not a life altering mistake. I simply forgot to phone somebody back and I had made a promise and I forgot and the day ran away with me. And I remember driving home and I had heartburn, like I've never had heartburn in my life and I couldn't figure out what it was going on. And then I ended up in another city. I didn't, didn't even make it home. <laughs> I ended up in the city that's about 20 minutes from my house. And I got there and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? And, and that terrified me because that meant for 40 minutes, I was driving, not being very aware. That was the terrifying part. But I was playing this, making a mistake mm -hmm. over and over again in my head, feeling guilty, feeling badly. And, you know, I thought, jeepers, the world is not going to end because I did this. And then I went home and that same thing continued into the night. And my husband pointed out, he said, you have spent now seven hours feeling badly about the mistake. Why don't you just go fix it? Why don't you go write it? And I thought, well, that, I love how he, he's a very good advisor for me. I'll have to, I'll have to thank him after this interview. <laughs> and, you know, I, what I did is I, I crafted out, and this is really important tip, when you're upset or feeling guilt or pressure, and you're going to have an important conversation with someone, write it out and practice it first so that it comes out a little more comfortably and confidently. So I actually knew I was going to get the person's voicemail because it was now nine o'clock at night and I was going to get their work voicemail. And I crafted up a phone message. I typed it up and printed it in really big font so that I could actually read it. And it was a very respectful phone message. And I just owned my mistake. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I had the best sleep in my life that night, Sharon. It was because I, I fixed it. I didn't fix it, but I owned it. Right. And then I had the opportunity tomorrow. I knew that tomorrow I would be talking to this person. And the response of the person, this is what exactly what they said the next day when I talked to them, he said, no big, no big deal, Charmaine. It happens. It's life. <laughs> and so, and Chris said, eight hours, you stressed about this. You had heartburn. You ended up in the wrong city. And so that for me was pivotal in remembering that we're human. We make mistakes. We don't always show up the way we want to show up. And talking through guilt can be really, really valuable. And learning how to flip it off. And this is my friend, Irene Martina, gave me this trick. She said, whenever you keep playing the thing over and over again in your head, like a movie, she said, there's two words that can help you, and that's cancel that. And so in your head, when I start playing something over again or feeling guilty, I say cancel that. And it often will take more than one cancel that, but it allows your brain to get off what you're feeling badly about and look at it for a different, from a different perspective. Cancel that. I love that. Now it's a little weird if you say it out loud. Like, so if you and I were in a conversation, Sharon, and I didn't like what you were saying and I said, cancel that, that would be weird. But in your head. <laughs> yeah. That would be weird. That would yeah. be weird. Although I was thinking of one time I was watching a group up on stage and maybe this is what was going through the person's head. It was strange. It did not flow in the context. All of a sudden I heard it was, we all heard, we kind of went, yeah. what? It was cancel, cancel, cancel. And I was oh. like, well, now I, I think I've got a context for it. It was yeah. so interesting to me going, 
okay. (laughs) As an audience member, like, I don't know. Well, that was interesting. But I love that. Cancel that. Hmm. It really works. I, I had one night I was, I was uh, feeling a little bit of pressure. I had a number of competing deadlines at once and dealing with lots of stuff and almost feeling um, a little intense about things. And I was having a hard time sleeping that night and I don't ever seem to have difficulty sleeping. And I was laying in bed and I kept playing like the to-do list and we've probably all done this, the to-do list. And then it leads to all these other things. And I'm playing it over my head, playing it over. And so in my mind, I'm saying, cancel that, cancel that. And then I guess I started talking out loud. This is now 2.30 in the morning. So I'm laying in bed, cancel that, cancel that. And then Chris rolled over and he said, Charmaine, would you please go cancel that somewhere else in the house? (laughs) And I I went downstairs and, and laid on the couch and fell asleep immediately. And the learning for me was that, Sometimes we need to be in a different environment to have a different perspective on health and wellness and, and to just make a problem change perspective. So me just physically moving allowed me to just change gears and go to sleep and cancel that 75 times or whatever it was. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, you know, this brings up this idea of for years I've taught people when doing presentation training and we're doing videotape. They don't want to watch themselves videotape. Mm. And I said, we're going to talk about you in third person. Yes, I know that is you. I have you say something like if I was coaching Charmaine, I would tell her too. And I find talking about ourselves in third person when we're trying to cancel that is very, very helpful. It was so funny the other day. I've been teaching this for years, and I just read a study the other day confirming that. And I went, yeah, well, it's one of those, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And Sharon said, I've been doing that for years, Sharon says. (laughs) It's a study, but, you know. Yeah, it's awesome. But it's so funny. I love that. Cancel that. And then also talking about things in the third person can remove a lot of the emotion around it even if we're we don't have to be doing it on videotape i'm sitting here in my own mind going even if someone was stuck in that cancel that loop just saying if i was going to coach sharon through this loop what would i tell her oh i would tell sharon try this oh okay and just takes that sting off of it so sharon and charmaine will be right back after this quick (laughs) break (laughs) it's so strange to talk about yourself in third Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Change and growth are part of natural life, and also part of your spiritual life. Everyone needs support and guidance, especially during life passages. Upgrade yourself with the Om Times Experts program. With Om Times Experts, you have access to the best intuitive coaches, spiritual teachers, counselors, astrologists, and oracles. Our team was carefully selected so you can trust. Find out more at experts.omtimes.com. Grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine and tune in for Inspired Conversations with publisher Linda Joy on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Linda creates sacred space for leading female luminaries, empowering authors, heart-centered female entrepreneurs, coaches, and healers. A soulful venue where guests openly share the fears and obstacles they've overcome, wisdom and lessons learned, and the personal journey that led them to the transformational work they do in the world. 
inspired conversations to empower you on your path to authentic, soulful living. Hey, Dr. Phil here. You know, I help people solve difficult problems every day, but one problem has me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. Luckily, the Feeding America network of local food banks collects surplus food, giving hope to hungry children and their families. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm your host, Sharon Saylor from Sharon Saylor. Dot com. Oh my goodness, I'm too excited. I, I always get this way when I'm with Charmaine. We just love to talk about so many things. We both just are what I call word nerds and, and just language learners and all sorts of things. We just love to talk about how we talk and how we behave. Just so much changes, not only our lives, but the lives of people around us. And right now we've been talking about resilience and compassion fatigue. And I know those sound quite different, but they're not. They're really very close. So thank you, Charmaine. I've just been enjoying this so much. We've only got about five minutes left, and I I do want the audience to know more about your books and your work, as well as uh, just a quick little shout-out for your Team Toby work, too, please. But any couple of last-minute tips, and then we'll get into knowing more about uh, how people can work with you. Certainly. Last couple of tips I would say is that uh, we, we at, at the end of at the end of everything we do with resilience, we actually have to really take care of our mind and our body. So eating well, sleeping, getting lots of water. People typically, and I'm guilty of this too. People when we're stressed, we turn to coffee or tea or you know other things that sort of stimulate us. <laughs> so drinking uh, water. And here's something interesting I learned from working with firemen and paramedics is after they deal with a, a, a scene, a call, they, you will often find them debriefing by walking away, around. They won't be sitting down talking. They walk and debrief, and I asked them why they do that. And they said, because it gets all the blood moving to the right parts of the body and, mm. and gets all your electrolytes. And I'm not a medical person, so I'm just repeating what I was told. But um, it gets everything functioning properly in your body after you experience stress. So one of the things that you can do is if you're talking with someone and you're feeling stressed and you're on the phone with them, stand up for the conversation instead of sitting down. So And move. Movement is really important. And um, the last thing that I'll say is just finding those trusted people in your life, family, friends, a neighbor, a counselor that you can be really vulnerable with when you need to. Oh, I love those. I love those. And you know, one thing that came to mind about the movement, I was told early on by a physical therapist that you get the the lymph system doesn't have its own pump system and that you've got to move to get all of that stuff moving out and the toxins moving stress actually creates toxins and I was like I didn't know that but it actually kind of builds up some garbage in there (laughs) and you've got to move to keep that all flowing and so when I here it is like so cold for so many of us I find that sometimes I just bounce I do have a little rebounder sometimes people aren't well enough to do the rebounding but sometimes I just bounce on my own little you know just sort of up and down and 
that keeps all things flowing. So that's wonderful. So now, Charmaine, tell us more about your books and uh, how people can get a hold of you. Absolutely. Well, people can get a hold of me at CharmaineHammond.com. And uh, one of my books is GPS Your Best Life, which actually talks about some of the things that we've been talking about today. And the book that you mentioned earlier, uh, Sharon, with relation to Toby. Toby is my dog and one of my best teachers in life. I've been fortunate to have a dog who uh, provided me with many lessons, but that book is called On Toby's Terms, and both of them are available on Amazon. And I'm on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and and uh, would love to stay in touch with people there as well. Oh, absolutely, everyone. And I'll have the spelling of her name up on the website, but it's it's just like it sounds. It's really, it's not one of those odd hard names. To, to do. <laughs> CharmaineHammond.com and that's her website and check out her books because both of them are awesome and she, Team Toby he has more than he the dog yeah. <laughs> I know the dog, is right, guys, but the dog has more than one book too yeah. and that's great those, those are great topics on bullying as well but within those books she offers a lot about resilience and compassion fatigue and compassion empathy all sorts of wonderful things so thank, thank you, you so much Charmaine for being my guest on the autoimmune hour it's always a pleasure to have you here Thank you so much, Sharon. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. And everyone, go have a great week, whatever your adventure, and join me here next Friday night for another fabulous episode of the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. And before I forget, run over to lifeinterruptedradio.com and sign up for the Transcribe Tribe. As I've been telling you now, we didn't start this 155 episodes ago. We just started a couple months ago, but we're almost done. We're down to just the final few, getting caught up on those. So go over and sign up for Transcribe Tribe, and you'll be able to see everybody's transcript, including Charmaine's, and be able to, like, oh, that's what she was telling. That was the tip I wanted to remember. So fabulous. And as always, enjoy and see you next week. The information provided on LifeInterruptedRadio.com is for educational purposes only. What you hear, read, and see on Life Interrupted Radio is based on experience only. The information presented here should never be used for any legal, diagnostic, or treatment purposes. Always seek sound legal, medical, and or professional advice regarding any problems, conditions, and any of the recommendations you see, hear, or read here on Life Interrupted Radio. You've been listening to Life Interrupted Radio. To learn more, listen to other shows, and gain free resources that can help empower your life, be sure to stop by LifeInterruptedRadio.com.